Hello and welcome to Gutted. I am Elise. And I'm Tony. And we are here to spill our guts about horror films. If you are new to the podcast, you can find us on YouTube, Instagram, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts at Gutted Horror Podcast. And we would like to start the show by just giving thanks for those who are listening and those who are returning guests and those who are new to the podcast. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Yeah, thank you for taking a chance. We know there are a lot of podcasts out there, so thank you for stopping by the Gutted Horror Podcast. If you like what you hear uh, in this episode, please don't forget to like, subscribe, leave a comment, or give us a rating. Uh, All right, let's get into uh, (laughs) today's episode. We have a very exciting episode for you today. Uh, We have another one of our gut to gut Gut episodes. This is our second gut to gut. Last time we did a gut to gut of prom night versus the remake. Prom night versus prom night. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, this In this episode, we will review a film and its remake side by side, gut to gut. We'll dissect both films, looking at the differences and similarities. Can a remake be better or just as good as the original? Yeah. We're going to find out. It's tough. When it happens, it's great, but it's it's a tough, tough thing to achieve. Uh, <laughs> it's a to, short list. It, it is a short list of remakes that can surpass or even be just as good as the yeah. original. Yeah. Um, but today, I think we might have one of those situations. We will be comparing 1978's Dawn of the Dead, written and directed by George A. Romero, with 2004's Dawn of the Dead, written by James Gunn and directed by Zach. Snyder. We'll begin with a recap of the 1978 version, then do the same with the 2004 remake. A recap, then some more thoughts. And then we will compare the two. Before we do, however, we should warn you that there will be spoilers, so listen at your own risk. That's right. And if you haven't seen Dawn of the Dead or the remake, then what are you doing with your life? (laughs) Pause here. Throw your radio out the window. Radio? Oh, okay. And go watch these movies right now. You can find the Dawn of the Dead original in many versions and iterations on YouTube. Yeah, apparently there are like three three versions of the 78 version. And I'm sure the remake's on Netflix or something. Yeah. Or if you, you know, are like my friend up in Canada. Hey, Stephanie, and you don't like horror movies, then don't stop the podcast. Let it be spoiled. Okay, so I have friends that really appreciate the spoilings of these horror movies because they don't like horror movies. Yeah, we read the synopses like a uh, Cliff Notes version of the movie. Yeah, well, it's not that she doesn't like horror movies. It's that she gets too scared. So she actually likes the synopses because then it allows her to have a more condensed, less terrifying horror movie experience. Well, I'll make sure to make my recap really scary. Make it really scary. Yeah. Include the effects too, please. (laughs) Let's There's going to be a lot of sound effects and lots of squishing of guts yes good i'm really good at that all right let's hear your recap all right and i should specify that there are many different versions of the original dawn of the dead we are going to be covering the u.s theatrical cut Mm -hmm. yeah sorry argento (laughs) all right let's get into it (laughs) 
Fran, played by Galen Ross, is curled up in the corner of a sound booth. She appears to be having a nightmare, but maybe she should stay asleep because the nightmare of her reality has fully arrived. And as her coworker aptly puts it, shit is really hitting the fan. She and the news crew are working round the clock to provide the public with emergency information and keep some sort of order. Well, actually, it's a complete shit show. Reporters, doctors, crew members scream at each other during the live broadcast. It's a scene of complete chaos. Some of them, however, are making plans to escape. Note to self, befriend a helicopter pilot just in case shit hits the fan. Hello, Steven, aka Flyboy, played by David Emge. He's got the newscaptor on the roof and he's ready to go once Franny is done with work. She has an obligation to the public, but it's futile as a jaded cameraman informs her they'll be switching to emergency broadcast soon. Meanwhile, a SWAT team raids a building full of gun-wielding baddies, zombies, and, well, just folks trying to hole up in their apartments who are caught in the middle. Whatever it is, it's bad. All sides are unhinged and deranged. It's absolute bedlam. Here, we get our first introduction to Roger, played by Scott Reiniger, Peter, played by Ken Foray, and loads of those powdery blue or gray zombies. After kicking it indoors and wildly blasting zombie heads, one particularly unhinged SWAT guy shows us that the good guys might not necessarily be so. After the unhinged guy is dealt with, zombies chomp their way through the building. Things are not looking so hot. Roger clues Peter in on his buddy with a chopper. See, it's always good to have a pilot buddy. The two rendezvous with Fran and Steve, and now we have our survivors. The four escape the city, fly through the night. They are tired, low on fuel, don't really have a plan, but it's better than what they left. Their plan is to stay in the sticks, away from those things. Here in the sticks is where they find a quick little pit stop at a gas station. Here, we learn that Steven is a bad shot. Roger is a great shot, and zombies with incredibly large and flat heads should stay away from helicopters. Back in the air and still without a real plan, they approach something. What is that place? It's one of those big indoor shopping centers. A mall. Hope the food court has a Sabaros and an Orange Julius. This crew could use it. The parking lot is mostly empty, which is a good sign, so they decide to investigate. Flyboy parks his whirlybird on the roof. While weighing their options, they discover what appears to be a storage room full of survival supplies. Perfect. That's what survivors need. But how do we get in? Smash! Peter has all the great ideas. The gang decides that this mall looks like a good place to hunker down for a bit. I mean, the power works. There's a huge supply of food, water, and guns. Not to mention mink coats, an ice skating rink, and oversized bread loaves. <laughs> all the gang has to do is secure the premise, kill the remaining undead, and load them in the freezer walk-in. Easy enough. But wait. Even when you got it good in the zombie apocalypse, you never really got it good. We know this. So yeah, Fran is pregnant. Roger is slowly losing his cool and gets bit while securing the outer doors. You can just feel that someone else might want a piece of this small pie, but that doesn't slow them down. They build a wall to keep their location hidden. They manage to rid them all of those pesky, slow, lumbering zombies, including that particularly pesky Hare Krishna zombie, all to a cool Muzak me goblin soundtrack, more or less depending on which version of the movie you are watching. Now that all of the hard work is done, our group has one more zombie left. Roger. Sad face. Now for the remaining three, the harsh reality sets in. Society is gone, the dead still loom, and they are fated to rot in their makeshift castle, comforted by their materialistic excess, left questioning the meaning of their very existence. 
Is it all pointless? What have we done to ourselves? Friend rhetorically sighs. At their core, they know that their survival requires more than what this mall has to offer. In their boredom, they have been training, staying fit. Fran learns to fly a helicopter, but in doing so, they reveal themselves to a mob of bikers led by none other than Tom Savini. These guys have more of a pillage-style survival, so yeah, the moment of reckoning has come. The Moto Gang parades down to the mall, bursts their way in, and do what they do best, wreak havoc. You can tell that these guys are serious looters and serious tomfoolerists as we can tell by their expertise in zombie seltzering, zombie pie in the facing, and zombie pickpocketing. There is one guy who really wants to use the blood pressure machine and you can probably guess it doesn't go well for him. Anyways, Flyboy gets all this is our place and picks a fight with the Moto Gang which doesn't go well for anyone. Well, except for the flesh-eating undead who retake them all, taking Flyboy with them. Sad face. Well, guess that's the cue to hightail it out of here. Good thing Fran learned how to fly that helicopter and just like that, they fly off into a new dawn. They are tired, low on fuel, don't really have a plan, but it's better than what they left. Aww. The tear, yeah. single tear rolls out Several of my eye. Several sad faces. <laughs> what is it? I mean, it ends. Okay, so I felt like the ending was somewhat positive. It had an uplifting tone, even though they are low on fuel. Peter's demeanor kind of tells us that, you know what? It's not worse than what we were just in. Right. Because it's ambiguous, Hopefully there is ambiguous. room for possibility. There's room for hope. Yeah, so it's hopefully ambiguous. Yes, it's ambiguously hopeful because there is room for hope. Hopefully ambiguous or ambiguously hopeful? And Ambiguous. I think you're right. It's hopefully ambiguous. No, yeah. wait, I don't know which, which one you say. Ambiguously hopeful. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> yeah. I just meant that there, there's room. There is room for hope. Yeah. In, in Peter's tone at the end. Uh, but I know this is Tony's number one horror movie. And I know whenever you review or think about reviewing your number one horror movie, it feels daunting. Um, it is a little daunting to talk about this film because yes, it is my favorite horror movie of all time. Tough to talk about a movie that one might feel in their head or in their gut that has been kind of talked about to excess and has kind of been exhausted. It's like talking about Halloween. Like yeah, what like, more could you say? Yeah. But I think it's um, still worth saying. It's not been said by you. It has not been said by me. Yeah. When did you first watch it? So I first saw this movie, just a small snippet clip while channel surfing or something. And it was on some sort of cable site when it was like the free period. I think it was on HBO or something oh. like that. And I see the scene of the zombies. They don't look scary or anything they kind of just have like blue faces and they're slow and they're lumbering and they're falling over and all that kind of stuff and there are these there were like these biker guys and pieing them in the face and i thought that was really funny i was just like what is this this <laughs> so is a were crazy you like, movie were you 10 how old are you i must have been like 11 or 12 okay I don't know. that sounds about right yeah and it's just like, like this is pine. crazy and i just <laughs> kind of i think i watched a little bit of it and then turned off the tv or whatever and then didn't really think about it for a long time and then when I was in high school, Night of the Living Dead was one of my favorite movies because my my sister really liked it. Did and you know they were related? Eventually. Okay. Yes. It's in the early 2000s. I finally get a chance to watch 
Dawn of the Dead, and it completely floored me. Like, did I, you remember that? Oh, that was the 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 pie movie that I saw when I was eleven. It did, yeah, it did connect at a certain point where I was just like, oh, this is that movie. Yeah. Like, there's pieing the zombies yeah. in the face. Every time I've watched it since being a teenager, it's just I love this movie so much. That's interesting. Now hearing that it first hooked you with the pies, and I almost wonder if Romero had that intention to try to draw in audiences of all ages. <laughs> I don't know what that's all about. For because I always, when I first saw it, I was probably in college, and so I thought, "What is with this pie singing? It sounds it it's seems kind of so, ridiculous, so juvenile." But then to hear of your experience, you're channel surfing, and you see someone pieing a blue zombie in the face, and you later told me that okay, it was not the intention for them to have blue zombies. It just kind of happened that way with the lighting. But for whatever reason, like the pieing was involved, and that drew this. 11 year old in which makes a lot of sense now so now i'm wondering if romero had that intention the whole time to have this kind of juvenile prank <laughs> at the climax of the movie i think it's just one of those things where it's like you put yourself in the situation and these zombies they're they're not necessarily scary if you take them one-on-one -on -one. they're all slow and kind of falling over and tripping and they're not smart or anything like that. So there are people who are messing with them. They feel like it's they're almost, not really a threat. Yeah, it's almost like life is what you make of it, you know? So we have our, our core four um, that get whittled down to three that are afraid and they are barricading themselves. And then you have the bikers who are doing the exact opposite and they are living their lives free, having a whale of a time. And they are not afraid of life. They're not afraid of these zombies and they are pying in the face. So it, it's just like the juxtaposition of the two different ways that you can approach this particular apocalypse. You can be afraid and hide or you can be out there and wild and laugh in the face of the terror yeah exactly if i had to like pinpoint a reason why i would say it's like got this really nice balance of terror it's got this doom and gloom at the same time there is that sort of like cartoony soundtrack and you got the music and <laughs> yeah <laughs> but paired with the really awesome soundtrack the goblin soundtrack mm -hmm. which is really cool and i you know i got to appreciate that more as I um, learned more about like Dario Argento and and then you know you find out a little more and you find out a little more and you're like oh Romero and Argento they collaborated on the film and he made this film possible he funded it da -da -da. and then now all of a sudden you have this legendary zombie film it is probably the zombie film that paved the way I feel like Night of the Living Dead kind of set the rules and it was the creator but this movie is the innovator of the mm. zombie genre where you have the survivors and they're in this sort of situation and you see yourself as an audience member going through this whole journey with them and see i feel it okay so now that you're talking about this i i've always appreciated night of the living dead more because you you get all that but it isn't a very truncated amount of time with dawn of the dead the difference is that you you get to see them in it for the long haul and you get to see the exciting parts, the fun parts and the very boring parts, the angsty yeah. parts. Yeah. What happens to the human spirit when you are trying to stay alive for that long and act, yeah. isolate yourself. And so there are those, those moments where you're just with the characters and they're just sitting for long periods of time. Which is just as terrifying as when they're trying to evade a horde of zombies. Yeah. But that's the brilliance of Romero's movie is that these are 
the characters who survived the initial night. I mean, it's not the exact same characters, but you know, I'm saying like, mm-hmm. yeah, we move on to the next step. So it's like in Night of the Living Dead, you have the survivors who are holing up in the house and they're just trying to get through the night. And then in Dawn of the Dead, it's like, well, the nightmare is not over. Yeah. It, it extends far beyond what you think from the first movie. It's everywhere. It's yeah. complete societal collapse. That is kind of a scary topic when you really kind of like boil it down. It's one of the first movies that I remember dealing with the subject of like a societal collapse and and sort of an apocalyptic story. There have been others that I'd kind of encountered later, of, of course, that have come before Dawn of the Dead, but it was really like the first film that I had seen that dealt with that subject matter. That was something that has always frightened me as a young person is like the end of the world or like the apocalypse mm-hmm. or, you know, something like that. And now it's so ubiquitous. We see it in many movies that it it doesn't seem so scary anymore. Now it's almost exciting. Like, what would you do? But I can see <laughs> how when you were a teen uh, and you hadn't been exposed to all of these movies that there are today, I could see this being very terrifying and, and thinking, okay, if there is complete societal collapse, what would happen? Um, now it's it's not the same. Now it's kind of like, mm, what yeah. would you do? What would you do? <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody has a plan. Of everyone some, has some a size. zombie plan. Exactly. Everyone yeah. has a zombie escape yeah. plan. But um, it's also like because it's so ubiquitous now, it just goes to show how influential this film was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there are so many popular zombie movies and TV shows and um apocalyptic scenarios uh there's just they're endless it's such a huge genre i can definitely okay i can definitely appreciate this one now that we're talking about it because i i never quite got it and i know this is many people's top movie top horror movie and i never quite understood because i always felt partial to night of the living dead Mm -hmm. um but now that you're explaining it now that we're talking about like okay i can see how this one would be the one even more so than Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. Um, and I still love Night of the Living Dead. It's They're like very close for me. But this yeah. one, I, I think, just hits me in a different way. Yeah. Well, anyways, we should talk about the 2004 remake. Yes. Dawn of the Dead, the 2004 director's cut, directed by Zack Snyder and written by James Gunn, with original screenplay written by George A. Romero. There's a man going around taking names and he decides who to free and who to blame everybody will be treated all the same there'll be a golden ladder reaching down when the man comes around we begin in a bustling hospital, perhaps more bustly than normal. Our nurse, Anna, played by Sarah Polly, is exhausted and desperately trying to clock out from her 10-hour shift. Or was it 12? Who cares? Our doctor certainly doesn't as he tries to figure out more important things like tee-off times and why he's examining this pesky head x-ray for a patient admitted for a hand bite. Finally, Anna's out of there and we follow her home with a beautiful aerial shot of the Milwaukee burbs. 
Oh, what a nice day. Same old, same old, and Anna gets to decompress with hubby Lewis and mindless reality television. The next morning, Lewis is awoken by that presumptuous neighbor kid who sauntered into their house bright and early for breakfast. Sorta, because she takes a chunk out of Lewis's neck before Anna can toss the kid and lock her out of the room. Anna snaps into action like she never left the ER, tends to Lewis, who's sputtering and gasping for breath. It's not looking good, and emergency services are unavailable, but no worry. Lewis springs back up, fit as a fiddle, but vacant and snarly, and Anna has milliseconds to read the room, snatch the car keys, and fling herself into the bathroom before becoming breakfast number two. Finally, a heroine we can get on board with who thinks fast and weighs zero times sobbing over a loved one who's obviously a goner. She does everything right, except lock her car door. A mistake that gets her nearly carjacked and sent headfirst into a tree. Fine, everyone's allowed one mistake. She comes to and pals up with shotgun-wielding cop Kenneth, played by Ving Rames, a nurse and an armed cop, the perfect pairing for the apocalypse. Then, immediately saddled with perhaps the three most useless people in the apocalypse, pregnant lady Luda, trigger-happy Andre, played by Mackay Pfeiffer, and Best Buy salesman Michael. Actually, that Best Buy guy, played by Jake Weber, does seem pretty savvy. We follow our motley crew to the mall, amazingly desolate, save for three security guards, and look, they also have guns. That means more manpower to work together to keep each other safe. Or maybe just more trigger-happy tension and us-versus-them rhetoric. After a few fights, bites, and informative news reports, our little mall family grows. No, not from pregnant Luda or that growing mob of infected outside, but from a speeding semi containing eight able-bodied humans, except that one lady in the wheelbarrow who looks kinda gray. Nurse Anna again springs into action, but sorry, Anna, you're not that good, and gray lady dies. Dang, really thought she was gonna make it. Maybe she will. She's sitting up, a little snarly, but hey, this looks familiar. Quick-thinking Anna plunges a fire poker into gray lady's eye socket and finally figures it out. It's the bites! A little slow on that one, Anna, but fine. Everyone's allowed two mistakes. And like that, our new group of 16 drops to 15. Actually, 14. Sorry, Nicole's dad. Cue the fun montage. Everyone's down with the sickness and having the best of times and the end of times. Except for security guard number three. And formerly pregnant Luda. And trigger-happy Andre. And truck driver Norma. Okay, so they just lost almost a third of their group, but now they can focus their attention on caring for Luda's baby, a beacon of light and hope for the future. Wait, the baby's a zombie? Well, that's bleak. All right, this mall has lost its luster, and the gang sets its sights on the open seas. Cue the take-no-shit montage. Hard working and finally working together, with the exception of douchey boatman Steve, played by Ty and Burrell. The remaining nine pull their skills and resources to reinforce two ordinary shuttles into two badass zombie plows. Time to swoop up Kenneth's new rooftop buddy Andy at the gun shop and sail off into the sunset. But first, get that guy a sandwich with chips. No, not those kinds of chips. Chips the dog, Nicole's new daddy or buddy. Sorry, Nicole, we don't have time for your daddy issues. Andy's starving. Saddled up with supplies, cute little chips saunters on over to the gun shop, undetected by the dead, and makes his delivery. Success. Except for that bite that Andy suffers in the process. Well, that sucks. A waste of supplies and a cute dog. But not if Nicole has anything to do with it. Our level-headed teen jacks the semi, mows down a horde, and crashes into Andy's gun store. Success again. She finds Chips and Andy, but Andy's not looking so good. Sorry, Nicole. The gang makes a unanimous and sound decision to leave her to her own defenses. The end. Just kidding. Nicole and the dog are rescued 
rescued, zombie hordes reach their height, a few more people die, including douchey boatman Steve, and Anna wastes valuable time manhandling his carcass. Ugh. Mistake number three, Anna. You're out. Oh, you were looking for the boat keys? Fine. We'll allow it, even if it did mean the end of Anna's noble and stoic love interest, Michael. On the dock, we discover that our best guy from Best Buy has been bit. With tears in her eyes, Anna insists she can help him. Michael knows this isn't possible and unflinchingly pushes the boat from the dock, all the while locking eyes with Anna. We remain with Anna and watch as Michael gets farther and farther away. He raises his gun to his chin. Anna doesn't look away. We hear the gunshot cut to black. The end, with the exception of some found footage and credits that leave us disturbed. (laughs) (laughs) See what you did there at the end. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) For those that don't remember... It gets down with the sickness it at the end. It does get down it in really the disturbed does, yeah. way. <laughs> yeah. Great end credits of that movie. but mm-hmm. And great intro credits. I think... Really, um, the whole movie riveting from like beginning, including credits. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Can we take some time to uh, admire your... My your scream? Yeah. You, can you tell what movie we just saw? Scream 6 in the theater. <laughs> At least had to get the novelty cup. <laughs> I was like, $13? I don't know, man. Okay, worth it. <laughs> so for those listening, yes, that yeah. is a Scream novelty cup. It is you a can't Scream see novelty it. cup. You have to watch it on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, um, okay, so the 2004 Dawn of the Dead remake, mm-hmm. um, this came out. We were in college. We were in college, yeah. Did you see this movie when it first came out, or did it? Did you see it a little uh, after the theatrical release? You know, now that I think about it, oof, did I see it in theaters? I know I saw it in I theaters. I know you I had for a very, sure. had I've a very shared this on another episode, distinct. but I had a very memorable um, experience I'm with I'm very this movie. envious of your experience, <laughs> having seen it in the theater that you saw it in. Yeah. Yeah. He was in a, he was in France. I, so, okay, so, yes. So, not to take away from your first viewing no, experience no. of 2004's Dawn of the Dead remake. I but. mean, your experience was better than mine, because honestly, I can't remember my first experience. I think I probably saw it, if I didn't see it in the theater, I saw it on, like, DVD. DVD, yeah. probably the Netflix mail-in. Probably the Netflix mail-in. Yeah. Um, but I... Getting five DVDs at five a time. Five DVDs at a time, because we were rolling in it as college kids, <laughs> using our... <laughs> no, that's probably not true, but... <laughs> no. Um... But not to steal from your thunder, but um, I was uh, overseas. I was in France at the time. Um, I was lucky enough to go on a a summer uh, college excursion to France by myself. You got kind of like an artist residency because he was an art major. So he got he he got invited to Paris to do art things. Right, which is not important to the story, but I was overseas. you were like a college kid. You weren't like, you know, rolling in the money. Yeah. And you decided to go see Dawn of the Dead 2004. I was walking through a mall and thought to myself like, oh, I want to go see a movie. And I I saw the poster for the remake of Dawn of the Dead. So I'm like, of course I'm going to go see this. Uh, Not really like putting... Two and two together, you know, I'm in a mall and I'm watching Dawn of the Dead in a mall, which is amazing in itself. But I didn't really think about that. I was just like, I want to see this movie. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm really excited for it. And um, I I don't know if I had heard a little bit about it. I'm sure I've heard heard a little bit about it before it came out. Um, And I went and watched the movie and I was totally like blown away by how intense and how 
horrific it was. Um, the movie just starts off with at like a 10 and just it just keeps going the whole time. And so then I, I'm like, wow, that was awesome. And I walk out of the mall and I had this really eerie experience where uh, the mall had closed. It was probably like 11 p.m. or something when the movie got out. And I was the only one in the mall. I, was, I think I was one of two people in the theater watching this movie. It's, I guess it didn't do too well in France. It's like France catered this experience to you. <laughs> They're like, this boy needs to have the ultimate 5D experience. So I'm walking around <laughs> in this abandoned mall uh, at night by myself in a foreign country, just watching this horrific movie. And I was just like, like, oh my God, I am living. I need to run home. <laughs> Seriously, I was like so on guard after. I think most remakes of horror movies are, they are. usually subpar, mm -hmm. which is why we're going through and putting them gut to gut. Because even yeah. though... They may not live up to the original. We want to see if they can hold a flame. Yeah. Do they have any redeeming qualities? Yeah. And this one is a good one because I think a lot of people, there actually might be people out there who enjoy this one more than the original. And we're going to talk about that. And Elise might be one of those people. Spoiler so, alert. So my experience when I, first, I don't know if I saw it in the theater or on DVD, but I do know when I first saw it, and it was two years after 28 Days Later came out, I think, because that mm -hmm. came out in 2002. We already had running zombies. We already had running zombies, so that wasn't infected new. Infected zombies. Yeah, yeah. so they're, they're already running. That wasn't new. They were more snarly. They are more aggressive. I was expecting that, but oh my goodness, the, the opening scene with Sarah Pauly, um, where she... She goes home. She's having a great night with her husband, Louis. And then the next morning, that little door just kind of opens. And that stupid neighbor kid is in the hallway. And you're like, <laughs> what is she doing there? She wants to roller skate at like 6 a.m. Go home, kid. Um, but you know that it's not good. And uh, Louis is like, oh, Vivian is here or something, whatever her name is. And he goes over her like her mouth is like just peeled away and red and bloody and just the teeth bearing. And she latches onto him. That whole tense, quick paced opening scene where Sarah Polly thinks so quickly and she doesn't waver in anything that she does. Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay, yeah, this is an, an ER nurse for sure. And she's not a huge person. She's very small. Like you can see in like the scenes where she's next to Veen Rame. She's like a very small and slight person. Um, but she is, she's tough and she's quick thinking and smart. And that scene when she is sitting on the bed and Lewis is snarling at her. She has like a millisecond to decide, do I grab the keys or run away now? But she grabs the keys and flings herself backwards into the bathroom, lands in that bathtub, the shower curtain falls. Oh my gosh. One of the craziest that stunt is scenes. the craziest stunt. And I was just like, oh my god. You God. can feel the She fud. did it. She got the car keys. She did everything right. Like, how did she think of that? And now because of that, I sleep with my car keys next to my bed. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sarah Polly. Um, this is why you should watch horror movies because yes, they will teach you valuable you life lessons. You get great ideas for safety, guys. In for case safety. there is an apocalypse. <laughs> um, but I was just like, what? This is a quote unquote final female that she made all the right moves in the opening sequence she didn't sob or cry or plead to her snarling husband who she loves it's so obvious that she loves him um but she knows that he's he's not him anymore instantly right. and so instinctively she runs away rather than try to plead with this you know monster that's coming at her 
Yeah, usually they'd go in for the hug. Yeah, oh, they're like, on. stop, don't you, you see me, right? Come on, Louis. Louis, Louis. It's me, it's me. Here, let me give you a big fat kiss. Yeah. <laughs> Face gone. It's almost as if she'd seen a zombie movie before. You know, I do think that in movies like this, I'm just like, really, in this world, zombies never exist, existed in film. Whatever, fine. <laughs> um, but she she dives out the bathroom window. She gets in the car. My only complaint is that she didn't lock her car door. She made all the other right moves. And somehow this paramedic guy is able to pry her door open and make her crash into a tree. Fine, I'll allow it because <laughs> the rest of the opening is so solid. It's a really solid opening. So good. And just yeah. like the camera movements, how the camera follows her um, from the front. And we see Lewis chasing her like a dog and he peels off like a dog to find the next moving object. Oh, so good. And then the aerial shot of the city in destruction that kind of parallels the aerial shot in the beginning where she's driving home. And it's so peaceful and nice and organized. And the the aerial shot where you just you see her driving and perpendicular to her, there's a speeding bus or truck that crashes and explodes into a gas station. <laughs> it T-bones the car. It's yeah, it T-bones some other car and it crashes and explodes and she's still driving, doesn't skip a beat and stops because there's a, a bus, I don't know, in the middle of the road. <laughs> it's a nice moment of tension because you see it coming and you know exactly what's going to happen and yeah. you're like, no, 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 no. And then it... Yeah, oh, man, that's like the, the one of the best opening scenes I had ever seen. And I think that's a huge reason why I love this movie so much. And I rewatched again for this for this episode and I was like, oh, man, this movie is so good. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we can agree that both the 1978 version and the 2004 Zack Snyder remake oh, are pretty solid they zombie are movies. solid. And I will say that I was trying to think of the similarities. There aren't many other than the fact that there's a zombie apocalypse and they go to a mall. <laughs> but what else is there that's similar? Yeah, you're right. I mean, everything, it's um, it's almost like um, Zack Snyder had to do something totally different with the premise, but gave just enough. So it's like, yeah, this is Dawn of the Dead. It's not like Zack Snyder did a Night of the Living Dead remake and then did a Dawn of the Dead remake. He just went straight for Dawn of yeah. the Dead. Because that whole initial premise of like a group of survivors goes to a mall. And mm -hmm. that's like, you can have so many things happen at a mall. It's just like a wealth of things that people can use to survive yeah. and um, a just natural fortress. So it lends itself to, for a great, it's a great plot. Oh, it's an device. awesome setting. Yeah. It's, one, it's one of the best settings is a mall. And I think a lot of us, when we think about what would you do in the zombie apocalypse, a lot of us think Costco or mall yeah. where you're set up. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also at this point, okay, yeah. So Night of the Living Dead had already been remade. So he didn't want to, you know, do that one. The you know? first three Romero tr zombie trilogy yeah. is so freaking good. The ones that come after that, I appreciate them, but. I have a hard time piecing them apart sometimes, but I can, I can really piece apart Night. Well, you remember Dawn Land of the Dead, right? 
I mean, I remember like when the zombies were walking through the water. They're in the skyscraper. I, I don't remember that. I do remember there's like, <laughs> isn't there like a, a cage where like, you know, Asia Argento's fighting some zombies? Yeah, that one's like, yeah, yeah. I, I've seen it once in the theater when it first came out and then not again after. But that, that one's like, so now we're deeper into the apocalypse and yeah. there's like and a see, new society honestly, forming. okay. So one of my favorite things about the zombies genre, the zombie genre is getting those moments before it happens before it's widespread panic. The small, quiet scenes of people having their their nice lives at home, and you mm-hmm. hear the murmurs in the background, like, "Oh, we got a patient over here with a bite wound." Yeah. Oh, that's weird. Why are we looking at his head X-ray? <laughs> so these little murmurs that hint to the audience that, "Oh, that's not good," but they don't know. Yeah. The, the characters don't know. So I love those moments. And so when we when you get the zombie apocalypse movies that have just jumped straight into the apocalypse, like ten years into the future i'm not as into those because i really like the build of yeah 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 yeah. seeing who they were before yeah well in the 78 version um they just go straight into the chaos you don't really have that moment of murmuring that was that was the night of the living dead yeah and and i think that's why i really like the 2004 version because i get to see sarah polly in her element, in her job, bored, annoyed at the doctor who's not signing off on this x-ray so she can go home and watch, I don't know, American Idol or something. Yeah. And it really happens overnight. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why I'm I'm very partial. So full disclosure now, I actually enjoy the 2004 version more than the 1978 version (laughs) but i I think one of the nice things about the 2004 version is that um they don't over explain the fall of a collapse of society and just the opening credit scene where we get little news uh blurbs and snippets from little scenes of society around the world and so you don't know where it started how it started who it started with you don't know who patient zero is you just see the collapse of society worldwide yeah we're in a new millennium. Yeah. We are post 9-11. Things are crazy. Yeah. We're overly amped on coffee. <laughs> and coffee monster shops on every drink. corner and monster energy <laughs> drinks. Yeah. So we're, of course, we're fast. If we The stakes are higher zombie, in the new millennium. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We and, can't just um, outrun a slow zombie now. Yeah. So no longer is it the slow moving horde mm-hmm. the that will get you just, they're persistent and slow. It's mm-hmm. more of like these quick snarling vicious you actually have to have skills you have to be fast you have to know how to barricade you have to know how to fight uh you can't just depend you can't just rely on yourself running and hiding exactly yeah yeah which is uh, more terrifying. It is. Or and is it more terrifying? Is it more terrifying? Yeah. Is it more terrifying? It is more terrifying. Would you rather be chased by the blue Hari Krishna guy or <laughs> that guy with one arm that's booking it after you? <laughs> oh, man. That was one of the scariest zombies in the 2004 version where they open up the door like when they're first trying to secure them all. And I think Makai Pfeiffer opens up the door and there's this one zombie in a black tank top who walks by with one arm and he turns and sees Makai and just books it after him running like 50 <laughs> miles an hour. And you're like, oh, my God, he's gnashing the whole time, too. That was good acting. I would say one thing about the fast zombies is that they make their presence a little more known. They're very mm, snarly. Yeah, and yeah they're loud. very snarly. Whereas the slow-moving zombies, they will creep in the shadows and they won't oh, make yeah. a sound. That's how they'll get you. Yeah. So like they're they're mm-hmm. they're in the um in the shadows. Yeah. 
And that's how Roger gets it. Is that like he's not paying attention and one just kind of sneaks over and bites him on the leg. That's right. Yeah. Sorry, Roger. So that's pretty frightening too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So in their own right, they're both frightening. But some more differences between the two movies. The the total number of characters that were given, that we are given the chance to care about, mm-hmm. um, vastly different. In the 78 version, we have four, maybe. And then in the 2004 version, we have like 16 at one yeah. point. The stakes are higher. Yeah. So everything about the Zack Snyder remake is just, let's amp it up. Let's take it to the next level. Yeah, from four to 16. That's crazy. And I am very impressed with the writing to actually write so many characters with depth that you care about. Not all of them. There are a <laughs> few that you're like, eh, yeah, fodder. Get rid of them. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's always fun to see the a group dynamic when the group is in a troublesome situation. You have wildly different character types and they all have to figure it out together. Yeah. And will they make it? So speaking of characters, can your top two characters from 78? Top two? Top two. You know, like, I mean, there's only four, four characters. There's only four. <laughs> Fine. Who's your top one? I, I think for me, the standout character in 1978 is Ken Foray. It's, yeah, it's uh, Peter. Peter. Oh. Peter, he's just this smart, cool-headed, imposing guy. He takes leadership of the group in a way. I mean, although I, you could argue that Fran near the end is, you know, she kind of takes control she takes leadership for herself she's Mm. not trying to take leadership of the group but she's thinking about herself and her baby um maybe she's thinking about her baby honestly i'm not sure if she's thinking about her baby she smokes quite a quite a lot (laughs) it was the 70s (laughs) it was the 70s um but anyways um peter i mean he's the character where you're just like like man like that's if i were surviving in the apocalypse i would want to be like peter oh i was thinking i'll follow you peter where are you yeah, going? Yeah, totally. Yeah. He's yeah. he's got the plan. He's like no nonsense. And he, the way that he he divulges his plans, he's not obnoxious about it. He's like, no, bad idea, good idea. Let's do that. <laughs> um, and so when Fran's like, I should learn how to fly the helicopter, Steven is kind of rolling his eyes like, oh, you're embarrassing me in front of my new friends. And Fran is like, no, I want to learn to fly the helicopter in case you die, Stephen. But what I like about about Peter's response to Fran wanting to fly the helicopter is that he's like, that's a great idea. She's not wrong. Mm -hmm. He's the one that gives um, Fran's idea validity, not Stephen, who is her, her, you know, her guy. Yeah, boyfriend or yeah. something. Yeah, Stephen, he, um, let's say he doesn't make the best decisions and he's a little bit of a baby. He is a man baby. I feel bad for him at times because he has these looks like, okay, fine. I know I'm weak willed. <laughs> <laughs> but he has these like little puppy dog eyes. Where, like when he proposes sort of half heartedly to Fran over dinner, she's like, no, Stephen, it's not the time. <laughs> and he has these eyes like, okay, home. And you feel so bad for him. Right. And Roger, he's kind of like, you can tell he's um, very skilled and he's a, he's a great shot, but he's kind of losing his cool. And he doesn't really last that long in the movie. I always feel like he makes it a bit longer than he does, but yeah, he's impactful. Yeah, he. I mean, he does. He helps them really get set up, and then that's that's it. And then he turns. He turns into a cowboy, and gets loose and wild with his. uh, (laughs) Yeah, I don't know his care. I mean, he was already kind of cracking in in the initial scene when they raid that um, that apartment building. He's already like. 
I think it's just the pressure of everything that's going on. And he's seeing um, people on his team getting killed and mm-hmm. his, his that like young uh, SWAT guy that he, right in the beginning right. gets shot in the Who head. Who looks and, a lot like him. It's yeah. a guy that, that's also blonde, has the same stature. Um, and he gets shot right in the head, point blank, right in front of Roger. And so he's kind of just like, oh, that could have been me. Um, so really, the movie really just follows these four characters. Yeah. And all of the other characters um, who come into the movie don't have names. I would say the biggest thing is like the cameo by Tom, Tom Savini. Oh, yeah. Um, but I also- His character does have a name. Uh, I can't remember exactly. It's like. Is it Tom? No, it's like something like Switchblade or something Switch like that. Blame. I can't remember off that the top of my head. That sounds appropriate. But... <laughs> Wild card. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I feel like the point of those characters is just to further the plot, to yeah. move it along, and also to have all of the coolest zombie special effects you know what, happen though? at the end of the movie after all this stuff. I feel like the, the bikers, though, are more than that. Because as we were discussing before, um, the bikers show you that that juxtaposition between what it's like to hunker down and hide versus what it's like to just live. Yeah. So the bikers show you what it's like to live. And honestly, if I'm thinking about it, I think I'd rather be a biker. <laughs> I'd rather be with a biker crew and just trying to live and make the most of a terrible situation and have fun while you can. Yeah. Because you never know, however careful you might be, you're still going to get it like Roger did. Mm. And so you'd be the guy putting your arm in the I would be the guy like, oh, I feel a little tense right now. <laughs> What's my blood pressure at? Where's that sombrero? I want to have a good time. <laughs> what a way to go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One of the, the best comical death scenes yeah. in film. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I mean it um Dawn the original Dawn of the Dead, um just you know, Romero is also like one of the greater independent filmmakers of our time. He is able to do a lot with a little. And for some reason, no one ever wanted to give that guy any money to make his films. Yeah. And whenever he did get to make his films, he always like kind of messed up the the rights or you know, oh. which is a good thing because now we have Night of the Living Dead and like every horror movie yeah in the background another reason why i really like the 2004 version is i've always been drawn to movies like the breakfast club where (laughs) you get this motley crew of characters from different uh well at the breakfast club they're all like high schoolers but they're all from different social classes Mm -hmm. you have the popular girl you have the burnout you have the smart kid you have like the weird recluse you have the jock. So you have these these different characters who would never normally associate with one another, but because of this circumstance, they are forced to. And you get to see those relationships form um, because they're forced to form them. Mm-hmm. So when I was younger, I really loved The Breakfast Club for that reason. And so then as I got older, other movies that kind of incorporated that kind of trope, I, I really attached to. Uh, so with this 2004 version of Dawn of the Dead, you have 16, I guess like 14 characters who are from completely different walks of life who are forced to have these scenes with one another, like Mackay Pfeiffer and Ving Rhames in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Um, Ving Rhames, at one point Mackay Pfeiffer says about Jake Weber's character from Best Buy, he's like, how do you feel about following a guy that 
sold TVs and being rooms is about as good as I, I like following a guy who steals them. I'm like, oh, super <laughs> so judgy. So many good lines from yeah, being rooms. Super movie. judgy being rooms. But also when they're in the, the bathroom, Micaiah Pfeiffer kind of divulges that like, all right, yeah, I didn't have the best past. I'm trying to make up for it now with this baby. And being rooms from a completely different part of his life. He's older. He's a cop. Um, he goes to church. He does not understand Makai Pfeiffer's way of life. Mm-hmm. But they're having this moment in the bathroom. And even though Ving Rames does not understand him, he he he's being respectful and he listened to he listens to Makai Pfeiffer's moment. And it's one of his better moments in the movie because he doesn't get a lot. Poor Andre who is a little bit trigger happy. He's kind of like Steven in that respect where he's just shooting wildly because he has a gun <laughs> and he can. And he has this really nice moment in the bathroom where he's telling you why he's doing why he's there um, and what his purpose is. Um, but you have all these different characters that come together. And um, Michael from Best Buy or from the 30 other jobs that he's had, he kind of has his moment to shine. He's smart and he proves that he can be a leader and he can make sound decisions. He mm. has that moment with CJ, the security guard, who's very like, I don't know, very security guardy. <laughs> I don't very, know. Very, uh, just like, I don't know, blunt and rude and crass. And yes. Self, uh, preservationist kind yes, of guy. Exactly. And the way that Michael talks to him, uh, he's like, he's like, I'm sure that you've already thought of this, but have you thought about maybe like barricading the doors of the mall, securing the mall, locking it down to keep us safe? And so the way that he talks to him, it's not patronizing. It's just like very, very smart and collected. And he's like, yeah. I'm sure you've thought of this, but, and then CJ's like, yeah, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great idea, great. bro. Yeah, yeah. that was my idea the whole time. <laughs> Go do that. <laughs> And even like someone like CJ, his character arc is so great because he starts off totally douchey and he's like, you got quite a mouth on you, sweetheart, or something like that, something patronizing to Sarah Polly. But then he just spends some time locked up behind bars and he reads a Cosmo and he's reawakened to the gentleness and the softer side of living. And I mean, he's just overcompensating and he wants to be sensitive, but he also knows he has to be like this tough guy. He's trying to be tough, but then he reads a Cosmo and takes a quiz and learns that the number one key element of a relationship is trust. He's trying (laughs) to trust other people and get them to trust him. He's working on it. Yeah, He is. He ends up being one of my favorite characters and he has one of my favorite (laughs) final lines of any character in a movie when he's just like bravely trying to hold off this horde so others can get away and he's like this is what i gotta do i gotta blow myself up i gotta blow up this entire rv and he just like fucking figures and he does it he's like what (laughs) that's how he goes out (laughs) yeah that's his way to kind of make up for what he had done yeah yeah what a way what a way to go, man. Yeah. He did it. Didn't yeah. have to do all that, but very noble of him. He in. didn't? Because if he didn't do that, then that pier would have gotten overrun. Yeah. He had to blow up that pier in order to keep the zombies from being able to get to them. He wanted to die a hero. Are you rooting for all of the survivors to make it? I mean, there were some more than others. Like, Nicole wasn't really caring about her. <laughs> and she's so obsessed with that dog stupid chips <laughs> and yeah her dad died but i'm like girl 
Although people often care more about dogs in horror movies than actual actual people. Yeah, I know. But like in this situation, you have like 15 or like oh, 13 other people like depending on you. And you steal the freaking semi and crash into the gun shop to go save chips. Knowing that if you're trapped, they're all going to come after you. <laughs> Irresponsible. I don't care that you're a teenager. But apparently, according to the commentary, Christina Aguilera saw Zack Snyder at the premiere. She's like, you know what? Yeah, the girl that got the dog, I was totally rooting for her because I, I would have gotten the dog too. <laughs> Dang, Christina, you're going to put many people's lives in danger for chips. <laughs> I, I did like the um, also the dynamic between Andy and um, Ving Rhames' yeah, character. Kenneth. Kenneth yeah, mm -hmm. that was kind of a nice addition. Yeah. You know, I think Zack Snyder really did well with um making it making the film enough of his own um I, yeah like you were saying it's like, like there's really not that many similarities but in a way that's not so annoying like it, he did it interestingly enough to where it's like all right i you know i i see what these characters are going through and it all kind of makes sense but the overall plot is is the same it's like a group of people find them all mm -hmm. and they have everything at their disposal and they are living the good life and they're having a good time. And then all of a sudden some shit hits fan again and they're thrust back into the world of yeah. chaos. And most of them die and a few ride off into yeah. the sunset. Uh, and I, so if he did not call it Dawn of the Dead, like if he did not, you know, propose it as a remake of Dawn of the Dead, but he still had zombies in a mall. And you call it like, you know, like, I don't know, dead shopping or something. <laughs> then people be like, oh, that's Dawn of the Dead. You ripped that off. So it's almost like he had to call it Dawn of the Dead. He had to propose it as a remake. Yeah. Yeah. If it's going to be in a mall with zombies, then it's <laughs> Dawn of the Dead. Obvious. Yeah. He he did it justice. I did like the the cameos from like Ken Foray as the televangelist who's like, this is why this is happening because you guys are sinners. When there's no it. more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. Yeah. He delivered it in kind of a different manner. Yeah, he in delivers it in both films. In 2004, so. he's more scolding. In the 78 version, he says his uncle used to tell him that or... His, his dad uncle. or something. Yeah, someone oh, yeah. who said that. And his dad used to tell him that. And, and it's what is his dad or his fact, uncle? I don't remember. His granddad? I just remember that he says that he, he's quoting somebody in his family and the way he says it is just more matter of fact. But he says it's like that old voodoo stuff. And yeah. I feel like that's like a little nod to the voodoo version of the zombie, yeah. which had existed in films and yeah. in literature for quite a long time. And that um, version of the zombie is like somebody loses their mind and essentially it has to be enslaved to someone else to yeah. like do their bidding. A thing that George Romero is so great about, it's like this movie, it takes place in a mall and what do people do in malls? They consume goods. And what are the zombies doing? They are literally consuming. Mm -hmm. They are the consumers in the mall. And it totally talks about like materialism and what does it mean to be alive? Is it surrounding yourself with all of these goods? Is it um, having a sense of freedom? Because they're like, they have everything, but they're trapped. There's so many good little metaphors questions. for society and questions yeah. that are posed. It's just like such a brilliant horror film. I will say though, and I kind of touched on this before, that a key reason why I like the 2004 version over the 1978 version um, more is that 
as a viewer, as a female viewer, when I first saw the 1978 version, I was not on board with Fran. Mm. And she was the character that was given to me as the one that I was supposed to identify with. Mm -hmm. So you have your four characters, only one of them is a female. And so when I first saw her, I'm just like, who is this? And especially that scene (laughs) where um, Steven is on the ground at the fuel station grappling or like trying to get a gun, trying to get his mallet or something. And he's wrestling with a zombie and Fran's just standing there. Mm-hmm. And you're just like yelling at her. You're like, grab the mallet, do something. Don't just stand there. And I know when we were watching this, I was saying this out loud and Tony's like, well, she's pregnant. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> grab a mallet. You can grab a mallet. And so I did not feel like I wanted to identify with Fran. She grew on me. And the more yeah. times I watched it, the more she grew on me. Well, and she does have a character arc. She, she does. does come around. She does. And she does say that um, she doesn't want to be treated any differently yeah. because she's pregnant. She wants to be a part of the plan. She doesn't want to be the dead mother, which I get. And she, she doesn't wants want to, to learn how to take care of herself. She wants to learn how to fly the helicopter. Yes. Nobody else had that idea. Yeah. And so, yes. Those are things that were lost on me the first time. The first time I'm just like, ah, oh, what is she doing? She's like hiding out. And everyone, all the <laughs> all the dudes are running around having the fun, beating the zombies. And I get it. She's pregnant. She has an obligation to protect her baby. Um, but for those reasons, the first time viewing it, I was not sold on her. Mm. Yes. Subsequent viewings, I was like, okay, I get her more. And perhaps she is a more realistic um, representation of somebody in the apocalypse. Yeah. In that situation. Um, but for me, um, as a female watching the 2004 version, there's more to choose from. Yeah, you hope that you get to be a Sarah Polly, but not everyone has those kind of nursing skills. Um, <laughs> and I mean, she just she has skills already for the apocalypse. Um, but even without her, you're like, OK, there's Norma. She drives a truck. She's a, a woman of an, of an older age. Yeah, she's impressive. Um, she's wielding a gun. Um, she has that awesome shootout with Andre. That was pretty great. <laughs> I'm just like, when in a movie do you get to see this young dude having a shootout with this older woman? And they're both, they're both shooting each other. Going shot for shot. Yes. Equal <laughs> footing. And I'm just like, oh, she was awesome. I, I, I want to identify more with Norma. <laughs> yeah. Love to see it. Yeah. So she's a, she's an average person. She has just an average job. She's a truck driver. Um, she maybe doesn't come to the apocalypse with skills, but she makes up for it in just the willingness to, to fight. And, um, I would argue she has the skills. I feel like every one of those, uh, characters has like something they bring to the table, except for maybe one or two of them. Except but. for Luda, poor Luda, <laughs> the pregnant lady, I'm like, ugh, poorly written, but whatever. <laughs> Out of 16 people, you're allowed to have a couple that are just underly developed, underdeveloped. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, Luda, Nicole, get out of there. But <laughs> I really liked um, the character of Monica, I think, the the kind of the hot lady. Uh, she wasn't just the hot lady. She was like, she was there to fulfill her needs, um, whatever they need. Fulfill her needs? Fulfill her needs sexually. <laughs> and she got that done. Uh, but she was also ready and willing to like wield a chainsaw and help the group. And <laughs> I just really love the bonding moments. You know, Norma's scratching her back and doing her hair and, and Monica shares her cigarette and they're just, they're really cute together. Anyway, I, I just feel like the 2004 version offers a lot more choices as an audience member of who you want to identify with or see yourself in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. Not that Fran is a bad choice, but that's the only one that you're given <laughs> as a female. <laughs> um, I have a question yeah. for you. So now that we are in the year that we are in, mm -hmm. um, some of the themes of both the 1978 Dawn of the Dead and the 2004 Dawn of the Dead might not apply these days. I feel like uh, malls are not what they once were. Mm. So if Dawn of the Dead were to happen today, do you think a mall would still be a good place to hole up? Why would a mall not be a good place? What, what are they like now? Um, actually, it, they might be better places to hole up these days. I mean, I feel like the only reason why I would not go to the mall is because I feel like at this point, everyone has that idea. <laughs> so everyone's seen Dawn of the Dead now, both versions, and they're like, I'm going to the mall. So maybe I wouldn't go to the mall. It's funny, like, you know, you kind of hear um, that malls are failing like around the country there's mm. all these abandoned malls i guess this is what i was trying to get to mm. there's people um because of online shopping <gasps> right. and uh especially like post covid people aren't going to malls mm -hmm. as much but um I, I don't know i i still have been to some malls where they're pretty hopping and there's still a lot of stuff in the mall maybe then in that case maybe malls are the good place to go to still because they aren't as populated mm. maybe people don't know where their mall is anymore <laughs> because they are amazon shopping that's well okay that's what i'm saying are you going to go to the amazon warehouse are we going to have no. dawn of the dead okay. 2023 <gasps> and the survivors waltz into an amazon warehouse this is a good idea okay no i am going to the local mall because no one knows where it is anymore <laughs> <laughs> well in the amazon um warehouse you might have some um some robot helpers or maybe it's gonna become robot like helpers yeah they have like, like robots that situation? yeah so maybe it might turn into like a chopping mall thing oh, where man. not only do you have to deal with zombies you have to deal with these renegade robots robots dang it these automatons well i'm staying home man <laughs> that sounds terrible <laughs> Um, I also wanted to, uh, before we get into our last segment, which is we're going to have some awards for mm -hmm. these movies. Uh, I just wanted to quickly just like, um, this actually might lead into the award ceremony, but I want to give like a couple of different categories and see which one you uh, think was worked for either the original or the remake. Okay. I'm and ready. this is very similar. This is like a precursor to your to the awards we are going to get. Pre-awards. Yes. Okay. Um, I'm going to go category by category. All right. Ready. All right. So uh, the Dawn of the Dead 1978 original versus the Dawn of the Dead 2004 remake. Mm -hmm. Which one do you think had a better soundtrack? Ooh. What do you prefer? Original. The original? So yeah. you like the Goblin and the I like Muzak. the Goblin and like the weird... Like Goblin did the weird kind of cartoonish soundtrack portion also, right? Like I think they remixed the stock. Some of it was like um, just stock, stock, foot, music. stock music. Yeah, that. Ooh, I liked it. George yeah. Romero, uh, and in Night of the Living Dead as well, he he kind of just used like the free library of sounds. And yeah. Okay. Got so, some of those sort of eerie sounds. They're like. Ooh, ooh. Yeah. So yeah, the '78 had very um, ominous, quirky. And just like kind of like 
cartoonish like what the hell am i listening to <laughs> i think that's why i appreciate it i love those big 70s since they're like dun 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 yeah. dun 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 it almost is like goblin and carpenter kind of have some yeah. like similarities yeah, in the definitely. way like there's just like really heavy hard yeah. synths. so score 78 version but as far as like soundtrack with actual tracks yeah I like the 2004 one because I mean, I don't think the Sony one had tracks, but besides the music <laughs> versions, but I liked the, the cheesy, um, down tempo down to sickness. I well, that's what, that's kind finish. of what I was asking. I was like, do you prefer like this ominous and ethereal synthy kind of vibe? Or do you like the like really kind of, uh, quirky MTV generation? Like, Oh Yeah. That's a good song to use for this montage. Yeah. And then at the in the beginning of the end credits, it's Jim Carroll's All the People That Died. Yeah. A lot of great songs. Yeah. So, oof. Okay. As far as the the soundtrack, the score of 78 versus the soundtrack of 2004, ooh, they go head to head. That is tough. Or it could be a tie too if you want. I might tie them. Okay. It's a tie. Yeah. For you? For me, I think I give a slight edge to Goblin. Oh, yeah. Because I feel like I could listen to that soundtrack um just like on its own and i don't know yeah it would, it's a little scarier yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. okay uh next category okay the um the zombies do you prefer the slow lumbering blue falling over and have um very distinct costumed 70s version zombies oh with the bright red blood yeah the (laughs) that contrast of powdery blue face Mm -hmm. and just the brightest red blood or do you want the vicious snarling fast you know it depends on what mood i'm in if i'm like not in the mood of having like heart palpitations then i kind (laughs) of like the the slow lumbering Hare krishna like almost the frankenstein head zombie that gets its head chopped off i like that one but as far as like an actual like tense horror, I don't know. I think I do like the fast zombies. Mm. Yeah. So for the sake of horror, the fast zombies. For the sake of horror, I, I like the fast zombies. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that just, you know, as someone who is a visual person, that contrast of the, the yeah. blue gray and the red is I do like that blood. something that we've never seen and it hasn't been replicated probably because people were like, Ooh, that looked terrible. Yeah. But also it's like so iconic and yeah. whether it was a mistake or uh, just because they didn't have the budget to make these really like scary looking zombies in the first movie was in black and white so you can get away with it. But in the second movie you can't when we got day of the dead, the zombies did get um, a lot more intense and you have the like really rotted and decaying and heavy makeup and prosthetics which look great, by the way, but I, I do have a special place in my heart for the blues. Yeah, I do like the 70s blood, that kind of like acrylic red paint blood that spurts out. Yeah. Just like one hue. And it's fun. <laughs> I like that. Um, okay. The characters, just overall characters. And I think maybe we covered this already a little bit. Oof, see, okay. So you're going to go with the four survivors, the Ken Foray, the Galen Ross, Flyboy, and or are you gonna go with the um the ensemble cast the uh the funny and yet stern one-liners of ving rames and yeah. the sort of like um the, sassy- the shitty guy humor from ty burrell yeah 
the the, um, the sassy sassy one liners from CJ. <laughs> and the yeah. noble best you called him the, uh, the best the, guy the, from best buy the best guy from best buy michael yeah. oh i love him so much okay i love ken foray's delivery of his final lines to almost his final lines to francine where he's like i'm not gonna go i really don't want to go he really takes his time with his lines even as zombies are coming at at them and he just locks eyes on her and says these lines, I really don't want to go. And you believe him. I get chills every time when I hear him say that. And you're just like, oh, why? Just go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's so good in that movie. But just for the sheer amount of characters that I fall in love with in the 2004, um, Anna, CJ, Norma, mm -hmm. Michael, even douchey boatman steve i'm gonna go with the characters from 2004 nice 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 i think i might actually have to agree with you on this one actually mm. the characters are i think it's if those characters were um poorly written then the remake would have been just awful yeah. but it's really like the strongest point of yeah the film the fact that I, I think James Gunn was the primary writer on the script. Mm. And the fact that he was able to make like 14 out of the 16 characters, very likable um, with the exception. I have my qualms with Nicole and Luda, but the rest of them, I really like all of them. They mm. all have their moment. I think that's so hard to make that many characters that you really care about. Yeah. In that short amount of time. Okay. Last one. The, Length of the movie. <laughs> oh. Wait, how how long were they each? <laughs> so um, one of the things, the reason, it's kind of a joke that I throw that in there, but um, one of the things that could be a negative about the um, 78 Dawn of the Dead is that it is very long. How long is it? It's like, it's over two hours long, just the theatrical what? cut. The They have multiple cuts. They're, the Argento cut is the shortest, and I think that's like, an hour and 45 minutes, which I actually haven't seen. I really want to see it, but I haven't seen it yet. Um, but the extended cut is like two and a half hours and oh. it's very long. It is, it is um, the pacing of the movie itself is on the slow side. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, you know, for me personally, um, just like the entertainment value of the film itself uh, without my biases towards my favorite movie, I think goes towards the Zack Snyder version yeah. because it is just like it moves along and it's entertaining and um, it's Even not as long. I think the the Zack Snyder director cut, I that's the one that I reference like when I wrote the synopsis. Um, I don't even remember the theatrical cut at this point. I just I just know it by the director's cut and. I feel like I could have more scenes, more character development yeah. and still watch it and be enthralled. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know how long the, the director's cut is, but to me, sometimes like not long enough. Make it longer. <laughs> I love it. It's a it's like so it's more of like a digestible film, yeah. whereas like the 78 version, I think you have to have a little bit more of an attention span. And I feel like maybe some audiences that um, didn't grow up around that time um or you know if they're a younger audience uh, younger viewers but scrolling through yeah. instagram small clips and vines yeah I've, they call them vines is that a thing vines anymore? oh vines? my god is that vines 
Is that way back? Whack. Yeah, yeah, it's back and whack. Yes. Back and whack. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, (laughs) Anyways, like one of the, you know, one of the negatives of this movie is that, yeah, there are parts that kind of um, seem like they go on for quite a long time. Yeah. Which I think is impactful in its own way. Yes. But... Again, you can't watch it sleeping. You can't have two glasses of red wine and watch it because you're going to fall asleep and have to rewind it. Especially that bedroom scene after Stephen proposes and they're just sitting there. And it's so beautiful. It's a beautiful tableau as they slowly pan out and they're just like not moving like, oh, this is our life. But there is something to be said for the the boredom that they're feeling and the boredom that the audience feels watching it. it. It like mirrors. And so it's very purposeful. Yeah. But as far as just like being enthralled, 2004 pacing. Yeah, I I think I'd have to agree with you. I I do think that the original gets better with each viewing because you can start to see these details that kind of lend itself to the film. And it has layers. It does have layers. The 2004 version still kind of has those layers. I think those layers are just embedded by default in Mm -hmm. a way. Um, But this one has more of like a like a easy to digest film quality to it Mm -hmm. yeah higher budget the the effects are a a little bit better although you know Mm -hmm. it was the 70s all right so that will take us to our award ceremony yeah our golden guts the golden the golden guts and there are there are only three categories here (laughs) it's a very underdeveloped award ceremony we are each going to give our golden gut uh so this award goes to um who or what gets the um the golden gut for each film so whether that be like an actor the score cinematography what not. So, Tony, what would your golden gut be for the 1978 version? Ooh, this is going to be tough. Let's see. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Mm. My golden gut has to go to whoever had the idea to give these zombies a powdery face and this really brightly red colored blood. It's the makeup department. You have stylized the zombie probably um, not to your liking, Mm. but it happened and it is now uh, the thing that I most associate with the movie. It's when I think of Dawn of the Dead, that is the thing that I think about. I think about the powdery blue faces and the bright red blood. Yeah. And visually, it is striking whether it was intended or a mistake. Mm-hmm. Whether you got the the bad fake blood from Germany and the zombies were Germany? supposed Germany? That's where they got it from. <laughs> oh, and they um, had the, the gray makeup that under the light turned mm. blue for me. It worked. And congratulations, you get the golden guts. So congratulations to the makeup department. Makeup, makeup department. Yes. Great job, makeup department. All right. Mine's a little less creative. Um, I'm giving it to Ken Foray. I just, I love every single one of his scenes, even the ones where he's not speaking. He, you can still, he's still, we can tell he's still like emoting and uh, he's still on. Oh, he's so good in all of his scenes. Love yes. Ken Foray. I agree. Yeah. Like you're like, I want to, I want to know him in the apocalypse. <laughs> Bring on the apocalypse so I can meet Ken Foray. Yeah. 
who's getting your golden gut for the Zack Snyder remake? Ugh, see, Who or what? Mm, man, okay. I am so not creative. I I love characters. And I love, hey, if that's your thing, that's... It's my thing. I love characters. I love actors. Yeah. And I really love Jake Weber's performance as Michael, the best guy from Best Buy. <laughs> Again, a very like subdued character. Um, but I almost feel like those are the characters that are a little bit harder to play. Because um, there's a fine line between subdued and boring. Like, if you're yeah. not saying anything, you could just be boring. You're just like wallpaper. Yeah. Um, but the way that he delivers all of his lines and the way that he is thinking when someone else is delivering their lines. Mm-hmm. Um, that scene towards the end when Anna jumps into the, the back of that, you know, zombie plow. Mm. And he's like, what were you doing? Because he just got bit. Like, as a first-time audience member, you don't know that he just got bit. But on the second viewing, you know that he knows he just got bit. And that's why he's almost scolding her. What were you doing? Yeah. And she holds up the keys and he smiles at her like, okay, fine. That was a good excuse. (laughs) And then he stands up and holds on to the railing. And he just like has this expression that first time viewing it, you think he's relieved that they got away. Second time viewing it, you know that he's like, shit, I'm going to die because I got bit. So it's just like the subtleties of like it could go either way, depending on whether you're watching him for the first or second time. That's such like a a skill. And I love that just kind of like subdued. And we haven't seen him in too much after I this, haven't. right? Yeah. I'm just like, oh man. Jake Someone Weber? yeah, cast Jake Weber. I know he does have some upcoming projects coming up. Upcoming but pro- I think cast he, him in more stuff. Yeah. I think most recently of something that I want to see, what Josiah saw. So mm. he's in that. And so I can't wait to watch that. I haven't seen it yet. Okay. So that's on our list. going to be on our, our list. Yeah. Okay. My golden gut for the Dawn of the Dead remake is going to go to the opening credits, Ooh, which is one, one of my favorite opening credits of all time. The Johnny Cash song, yeah. the snippets of the news real footage. Yeah. I think it was so great because in 2004, that is kind of what internet footage looked like. Mm-hmm. It, we still had um, these really kind of like pixelated, low resolution video quick, files. Quick lines. I don't know if they, yeah, but people <laughs> were taking cell phone videos and yeah. there was a lot of these things circling around with um, the war in Iraq going on yeah. and all of the there's like there's like yeah. a lot of dark stuff going on around after that time. after 9-11 people like resurfaced there or started to surface their video footage of yeah. things they witnessed so everyone yeah. was a witness in this era yeah yeah and just like you know people recording footage with a bad point and shoot camera mm-hmm. um like a 1.2 megapixel for some reason it's creepy something <laughs> creepy about it <laughs> something about that it's just like whoa yeah this this really is impactful and it does um, remind me of that time. It's It was just like so well done. The mm-hmm. music choice was great. And it gave us the whole fall and collapse of society in a quick opening yeah. Zack Snyder, he wasted no time in that film. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. He's every Even the opening of credits. time. Yeah. Yeah. So that gets my golden gut nice. for the nice 2004 one. remake. Good. <laughs> what's, All the, right. what's the next award category? Best intestines. This is the award for the best, saddest, or most gut-wrenching death. Ooh. All right. So for me... The best intestines, the best death, saddest death, or gut-wrenching death for 78 would be Flyboy. 
Flyboy. Flyboy. Because he grows on me. Mm. Uh, in the beginning of the film, he's just kind of careless and just shooting willy-nilly. You're like, oh, put the gun away. And he like <laughs> messes up almost three times. Like, dude, you're not good at this. Put your gun down. <laughs> but towards the end, oh, yeah, he gets greedy because he's like, oh, we got the stuff first. Those bikers don't deserve it. So he's the one that, that causes them to be in a pickle. With the bikers in this shootout. Yeah. But still, when he gets shot in the elevator and then chomped on by the zombies, ugh. And then you can, they're like switching back and forth between Ken Foray hearing the gunshots and mm -hmm. like thinking, did he, did he make it? Should I go help him? Oh, is this it? Yeah. Ugh, poor Flyboy. And I'm just like, man. And that his sense memory brought him back to their hideout because in his, zombie mind he's like i'm going back to my hideout to be with my my friends and i'm like oh it's so sad <laughs> you make him sound so lovable yeah even as a zombie he's like um i did it i'm going back to franny i'm going back to peter hey guys <laughs> he plays a good zombie he's, he looks like a like a hot mess and he's just twirling his little gun around yeah. like oh fly boy dang it <laughs> he looks really double jointed when he's walking he's yeah like, he does a good job around oh, yeah. poor fly boy yeah <laughs> um i'm going to give my best intestines award um to what i think is the best death effect mm. so i'm going a different <gasps> route yeah because i think um you can't separate the um brilliant special effects by tom savini mm -hmm. it is i think think one of the first movies it is one of the first movies where tom savini really got to shine mm -hmm. with his um amazing practical effects and it uh I'm, so i'm gonna give my best intestine award to random motorcycle gang dude who gets ripped apart yeah. by a large horde of zombies there's like 20 zombies he falls on the ground and they just pull him apart his intestines spill out um it's an effect that has been copied so many times in zombie movies after that and it's one of the reasons why we love zombie movies yeah. so much because you get to rip out all those intestines yeah. and then the zombies go to town those were literally the best intestines <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i actually didn't think about that but Yes, I'm going to be very literal yeah, here. and take these awards literally. <laughs> <laughs> literally gut-wrenching. They are wringing his intestines. It's yes. still gross, too. It's still gross today. Like, watching, even though they're a little, like, they're a little clean and not as bloody as you think they would be, but, like, it's still gross. Best intestines for 2004. All right, so my best intestines award for best death goes to that sh it's kind of a two-part this might be cheating okay the shootout between norma oh, and man. andre I, oh i was very close to oh, choosing that i love that shootout i just <laughs> love that you have a more mature woman who pulls out her gun and starts blasting andre and he <laughs> blasts her back and they're still going slow motion falling to the ground oh <laughs> so good it's like equal opportunity shootout <laughs> all ages <laughs> love it yep that's pretty good that's mm -hmm. a pretty good one i'll go the the gut-wrenching um and sad route on this one i am going to give it to um poor little chips the dog no I just chips the dog <laughs> is fine 
in the at the end of the credits, he goes off into the jungle into he the drowns. islands. You never see him come back. I cried. Mm. Just kidding. I am mm. going to give it to our best guy from Best Buy, oh, Michael. Michael. So sad, so heroic. So, you almost got there, oh. and in the end, just one little bite on the hand. Yeah, and, and Anna's like, in. "No, I can help you." He's like, "No, Anna, you can't." He's like almost annoyed that she even said that. <laughs> like, oh, I know. <laughs> but you know, if they were in the Walking Dead universe, you just chop that hand off. Exactly, off just and chop you're it. Good to go. Fine. Yeah, just, could be like two days later. Chop it off. Yeah, just solder it shut with a lighter. You're good. <laughs> Ugh. Oh, Michael. But yeah, he. Gets and the, the way that he just watches intestine. Anna, and Anna just does not look away. She sees him raise the gun to his chin, and she, like, like that's the kindest thing she can do in that moment is lock eyes with him and be there with him as he dies. Yeah, that's pretty sad. Oh, yeah. So sad. It's a good, that's good a moment good, for the good movie. Good best intestine. Good drama. Good drama. All right. Last, last award. Not really an award, but which element is going element or character gets the axe? <laughs> what are you cutting from the 1978 version? Um, from the 1978 version, you know, I think I'm cutting uh, the character who plays Martinez in the opening siege scene because he just has like the worst like brown face and ch- cholo <laughs> costume. <laughs> It, you know, it was the 70s, so I understand, but that guy's, he's got to go. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, Martinez. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and he comes back later he in the movie as a know, different character. <laughs> he still gets his day, so it's like you're not cutting that actor completely. <laughs> yeah, Martinez not needed. <laughs> sorry, Martinez, you're out. You got the X. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I think I'm going to cut Fran's wavering scene where Steve is on the ground wrestling a zombie. Just cut Fran out of that scene. I, we can still have Steve on the ground grappling with his, you know, zombie. Mm-hmm. But we don't need Fran looking back and forth like, oh, there's a zombie 20 feet away. There's another zombie on top of my boyfriend. What do I do? <laughs> don't need that. <laughs> cut. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The rest uh, of Fran's scenes, fine. But we don't need that. As I was like, going to say, but that that like is the start of her character arc where... You know what, though? I did not need... I would rather have had her running in the distance, like running towards Steve. Like, oh, I just can't get there fast enough. Not standing there, turning back and forth. Yeah. You know? I'd rather her be sleeping <laughs> at that moment. She's sleeping in the helicopter. Yeah, she's sleeping because she's pregnant and tired. And Steve's yelling, Fran! Fran, help me. And she's like stirring and coming too. That's why I would rather. Not her standing there trying to justify as an actor, why am I standing here and not doing anything? <laughs> no, poor writing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, what gets the axe for the Dawn of the Dead remake 2004? Oh, for the 2004 remake, what gets the axe? Freaking Nicole. Sorry, Nicole. <laughs> Ugh. I mean, yes, I get that we needed a, you know, an angsty teenager to go steal the semi and propel the plot forward so that they can get to the gun shop faster. Yeah. But they were going to go there anyway to get guns. You don't need this dumb teenager running after a dog. <laughs> and they they justify it. You know, they have Ty Burrell's character, Steve, be like the voice of the audience. Like, she's probably already dead. Sorry. And then CJ's like, well, we have to go there anyway to get the guns, so we might as well go pick up this teenager. So they kind of try to justify it that way. But no, I don't think there's a person who's seen this movie that thinks, yeah, Nicole, besides Christina Aguilera, 
who thinks, yeah, Nicole, go get that dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, wait, can I agree with you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because um, if I, but if I didn't, because yes, you are 100% correct there and that her character is the most annoying. So she definitely needs to get the axe. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if I, just to like mention another thing about the movie, uh, because I think you said it perfectly. Uh, if I had to give a second place axe, although I know that's kind of cheating, maybe like this whole like pregnant lady zombie mm-hmm. baby subplot. Although I find it so awesome that there's the zombie baby. Yeah. It was also like, I think one of the kind of laughable moments yeah. that whole subplot where it's just like, all right, all right, I get it. Yeah. I, you know what? <laughs> I think when I first saw it, I did see it in the theater and I think the whole audience was thinking, oh, the zombie's going to run around, the zombie baby's going to run around like Chucky <laughs> and you're going to have to like find this zombie baby that's crawling around. But that didn't happen, thankfully. Although the scene uh, where they have to like put down the zombie baby is just like, oh, shit. And it's Sarah Polly that does it. Yeah, so I thought that was hard. cool. Usually it's like, oh, I'm a man. I'm going to step up. But no, Sarah Polly's like, okay, I got this. I'm a nurse. I got my gun. <laughs> I think it's just a little too weird. And mm-hmm. I, it was a good a good idea. And I like it in theory, but mm-hmm. it really just didn't It was work a little out. silly. Yeah. yeah. And I, I will say as far as the effects go, the zombie baby popping its eyes open with like the silver eyeballs, like, eh, it wasn't the best. Well, early 2000s CGI. You know? So yeah. o- overall, the CGI in the movie didn't bug me. It could have been good. a lot worse. Yeah. At the end of our episodes, we like to talk about our favorite place in the world that doesn't really exist anymore, except for one place in Bend, Bend Oregon. Oregon. Um, our, blockbuster. Let's give it our blockbuster rating yeah. for the 1978 version. Um, is it for you? Is it a staff pick, a regular slash main shelf? Is it in the bargain bin or is it in the back alley dumpster? Oh, no, there are very few movies I would just toss in the dumpster. <laughs> um, but 78 is going on my regular Regular main shelf. <laughs> regular main shelf. Just like the regular main wow. shelf. Okay. For me, this is a staff pick. I Obviously, know it it's is. my favorite movie, horror movie of all time. Yeah. Um, and it just it's there on the staff pick. I, I, know I it feel is, like yeah. anyone who's in a horror movie needs to watch this movie. And I, I would expect nothing less from yeah. you. Yeah. yeah, it's right there on the staff pick, right in the middle right at the next top. To Marley and I'm me. holding it in your face as you walk into the blockbuster. Hey, watch this. Watch this. And then you hey. get fired because it's the only movie that you let people. And then write. when I go to work at Hollywood Video, I'm doing the same thing. Staff pick. Hollywood video. You can work at both. <laughs> well, once I get fired from Blockbuster. Oh, yeah. 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 Because I was too aggressive. Too aggressive. Apparently. Don the Dead Salesman. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. And the 2004 version. Where is that going in your 2004, Blockbuster? 2004. That one is going in my staff pick. Oh, my goodness. I know. What do you mean, oh, my goodness? It's on my staff. It's in my staff pick, too. Can what? you have two staff picks? You can't. You only get like five. Well, yeah, you're the, putting them both in your staff. Yeah, picks? side by side. Yep. Wow, this has never <laughs> happened in blockbuster history. I love both of these movies. And an employee that has both the remake and original in their staff pick. Yes, you only get three movies after that. Here's the thing: is that the um, George Romero his trilogy of zombie movies is that is like that's three of my staff picks oh, right wow. there. If I get five choices, you get five. So you get Night of the Living Dead, Romero. Yeah. You get Dawn of the Dead, Romero. Day, Day of the, the Dead. Dead Romero and the 2004 Zack Snyder remake. Yeah. Then what's your fifth one? 
Um, it's Return the Day, Day of the Dead remake with Nick Cannon. What? No, just kidding. That one's <laughs> in the back alley dumpster. <laughs> 28 days later, we're just rounded off. We're going to have five right. zombie staff picks. Right, I mean, so these rotate out, right? So this is no, just my this theme. No, this is it forever. It. <laughs> because Blockbusters is shutting down soon. The original um, trilogy is kind of what set the rules for the zombie genre. Yeah. I would say 28 Days Later is the movie that really kind of reignited like the zombie craze. A, there was a and lull. then Dawn of the Dead remake, when that yeah. after that came out, they were just pumping out yeah. zombie movies like every oh, yeah. single month. It was like fast zombies from here on out. Yeah, yeah, so um, they're both going on my staff yeah. pick. That's... Well, I, I mean, that's never happened in the history of blockbusters. So that that was <laughs> that threw me through a loop. I'm a renegade a blockbuster employee. Yeah. yeah. Well, I appreciate that surprise ending. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that about does it for this episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, like, follow, or give us a rating. Uh, or you can send us an email at guttedhorrorpodcast at gmail.com. Yes. And thank you for watching and or listening. This has been another episode of Gutted. Gutted.